0: You're listening to The Strong Towns Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of The Strong Towns Podcast. We're veering away from our typical format and schedule to bring you a series of short interviews with Strong Towns contributors who wrote for our new book, Thoughts on Building Strong Towns, Volume 2. Yes, we have a new book. Uh, We just released it, and you can purchase it in paperback or ebook format on Amazon. Uh, Just visit strongtowns.org slash publications to find the book. The proceeds of each purchase go directly towards supporting the Strong Towns movement, so we really appreciate that. And our members should have received a link to a free copy of the ebook already, so check your emails for that one. Today I have with me Daniel Harridge's, who wrote an essay that's included in this new book. Hey, Daniel, how's it going?
1: Pretty good, how are you?
0: Good. So let's do a little check-in. Um, you've been writing for Strong Towns for a couple of years now, mm-hmm. and um, I'm guessing when you wrote the essay for this book, uh, your life might have been a little different. It was uh, about a year ago. Um, I know you've had some moves and new school and things like that. So tell me about uh, what you're up to right now.
1: Um, I'm in my second year of a two-year master's program in urban planning, urban and regional planning at the University of Minnesota. Cool. Um, Which, yeah, when I wrote the essay for this book, I was just kind of starting that program. So um, it's been moving along. It's been going well. And you just bought a house, right? Uh, Yeah, my wife and I bought a house actually in Sarasota, Florida, which is where I was living right before I moved up here for school. So it's been a little bit itinerant.
0: So do you think that you'll move back there once school's finished?
1: Um, I think that's the plan. I don't know that that's the plan forever. We're going to, you know, take life's changes as they come.
0: Yeah. And are you liking doing a master's program? I'm
1: loving it. It's, you know, I've been doing a whole weird variety of things since I graduated from college. So it's just, it's fun to be back in school. I like being in an intellectual environment and I've known for a long time I wanted to get into planning. So it's, it feels good to
0: finally be doing it. Do you think that you want to be a traditional city planner or work for like a planning firm or, uh, use your skills in some other way?
1: In the long run, I would expect and hope that it would be some other way, which is kind of a broad category, but I think that I'm um, intellectually restless enough that that's what's going to end up happening. You know, I'm interested in using my skills to solve some of the problems that I see in in American cities and suburbs, and a lot of the problems that we write about at Strong Towns, and however I can best do that is kind of going to be my focus, whether that's working in government or working outside of government. I don't know.
0: So your essay in our book, Moving the Overton Window, um, I found this essay absolutely brilliant. I remember that when I read it way back in July of 2015, um, that was before I even worked for Strong Towns, and it immediately got my attention. Uh, I'm sure I had read some of your writing before, but this was the piece that definitely made me say, whoa, who is this Daniel guy? He is a genius (laughs) and a very skilled writer, too. So we're really glad to feature this essay in the book. Um, can you, if you can think back to when you wrote it, do you remember like what the inspiration was or yeah. Tell me some background on this.
1: Honestly, that was one I I had kind of had in the works for a while, just percolating, um, Mm -hmm. trying to pull together some threads that I'd been thinking about, um, through other stuff I'd read through other stuff I had done. Some of the pieces I've written for Strong Towns, I think are a little more on the spot, like, um, hey, I noticed this cool narrow street in my city. Let me take some photos and write about it. And this was one that definitely took a few months to percolate because I was interested in tying together a few sort of very different intellectual threads about, okay, what is this movement and how does it become a movement and where should we be focusing our efforts if we want to get more attention for this stuff we're doing?
0: Yeah, this is pretty different from a lot of what we publish at Strong Towns. It's not, like you said, about a specific street or urban planning or something like that. It's more like a big philosophical take on strong towns. So yeah, I think it adds a lot to the book. And if I'm remembering correctly, we placed it kind of near the end of the book. So it's a good way to tie the threads together. But yeah, this concept of the Overton window, I had never heard of this until you wrote about it. Did you learn about that in like through a book or class or something like that?
1: I'm uh, honestly, I'm not sure where I first encountered it. Um, I think it might've just been playing one of those choose your own adventure games you play on the internet where one interesting article leads you to another. Um, But it's something I've been aware of for several years. And it's something that I know has been part of political pundit discourse about how social and political change happens and how that, that window of sort of what's considered a mainstream or acceptable view shifts Mm -hmm. over time.
0: Yeah, this is definitely a very relevant concept for strong towns. I think so. I encourage everyone to seek out that essay. It's very interesting. Um, do you, how do you feel about this? Looking back on it now, like, do you have any new thoughts on this concept?
1: Putting me on the spot a little bit with that. I. Um, That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I think not that I could share right now necessarily without taking time to put those thoughts together. I know that it's something I'm thinking about as I study planning. Um, Mm -hmm. because one of the big questions that I'm grappling with and that strong towns, I think grapples with is the changes that we see that need to happen in our cities. How much of them are going to happen from within institutions, you know, or are the existing financing mechanisms for how we develop cities, for how we build infrastructure is all of it just so hopelessly broken that the only way to produce the kind of change we need is to step outside of the whole paradigm. Uh, Mm -hmm. And as someone who chose to get a degree in planning, which is a very sort of conventional insider route, uh, that's something that I'm definitely grappling with. And I keep coming back to this Overton Window idea.
0: Being aware that Strong Towns is an organization that tries really hard to be nonpartisan. Um, I'm always thinking about this concept and like trying to be aware of not pushing too far right or left you know not just telling people like everyone should get rid of their cars and just bike everywhere or like pushing any ideas that are going to scare away people who really love driving and don't want to bike places and then on the other side of the coin like you know not getting too intensely like we shouldn't be funding anything and like government is useless or you know those types of ideas because then we're going to scare away the more liberal side of things. So
1: one of my favorite quotes that I've ever heard was just from a one-on-one conversation I had years ago with an environmental activist and he said to me, "I don't really want to be left or right, I want to be front." Mhm. Um and I feel that way about the strong towns movement as well that I think we're most successful when we stake out a position that is so I mean, whether or not it incorporates ideas from people's kind of conventional left to right paradigms, it's enough of a different twist on it that it people don't fall back on their knee-jerk preconceptions when they hear it and they go, oh, wait a minute, maybe you've got something there. And I think Strong Towns is really powerful that way.
0: Yeah, I agree. We should definitely try to be front. That's the, that's the long-term goal. Uh, so what have you written for Strong Towns lately? Let's see. During our Suburban Poverty Week in August, um, you wrote a follow-up piece to something that you had written uh, several months back um, that kind of tracked suburban poverty in a specific town in Florida or a specific region in Florida. That was a very impressive and in-depth piece. I'm guessing that one took you a while to work on and collect the photos and everything.
1: Yeah, it was fun to kind of um, – I, I took a day and I drove down to Lehigh Acres where this particular piece was set and just spent a couple of hours driving around sort of post-apocalyptic exurban urban decay, um, mm-hmm. which I, I'm exaggerating a little bit, post-apocalyptic. It's maybe not quite there yet, but it's um, some of these boom towns that really exploded during the Sunprime Mortgage um, boom in the early 2000s are, I think, a preview of what the future could look like for a lot of American suburbia.
0: Now, okay, my Florida geography is terrible. Like, what is Sarasota like compared to these types of places?
1: Sarasota is like a lot of things, depending on where you are. You know, it's got an older core. It was one of the earlier kind of cities in Florida to be marketed as a vacation destination for Northerners back in the very early 20th century. Mm -hmm. Um, It was actually the winter home of the Ringling Brothers Circus. So oh, um, the town is very associated with John Ringling and that whole scene and it's always kind of had a bit of an artsy bohemian reputation for that reason. Okay. Um, the the stuff that's grown up around Sarasota since the 1950s has been very classically suburban um single family subdivisions that open up onto big arterial roads, kind of that car dependent paradigm, mm-hmm. um, a lot of golf courses, a lot of how people picture Florida. Um, but the older core of the city, I think is absolutely beautiful. It's walkable. It's right on the Gulf of Mexico. Some of the best beaches in the country. Like it's a cool place.
0: Nice. Um, And coming from Minnesota, when
1: I moved there, I never thought I would like Florida, but there's, there's stuff to be found. That's really great there.
0: Is the house that you bought, is that closer to the downtown core?
1: Um, not walking distance from downtown, but close easy biking distance, um, And we made a point of staying close in where we could get to stuff where my wife and I could own one car between us and be fine, which is about the best you can do in most of Florida. Going car free is the the urban form just hasn't gotten to the
0: point yet where that's
1: possible (laughs) as much as I'd like to do it.
0: What are you writing for us? What's coming up next? I know you'll be sharing something on Strong Towns in a couple of weeks. Um, can you tell us what that's about or is it still in the works?
1: Um, I got a couple different things in the works. You know, I have a bunch of notes that I took over the summer. I actually um, interned in a planning department in Sarasota over the summer and it was my first taste of local government up close and personal. So I, you know, I have some notes that I made just as things came to me about seeing things from that side, you know, going to a public hearing full of white haired people angry about new homes going up on the edge of their subdivision and Mm -hmm. trying to understand their motivations and then put that into a context of how do we, how do we change the paradigm and how do we overcome some of these kind of not in my backyard impulses Mm -hmm. and get people to, to see a win-win to see a way that they're, really unsustainable fiscally and environmentally unsustainable suburb could become something more resembling a strong town and that they don't need to feel threatened by that. Um, Because I think there's a lot of way to go in changing those narratives. And those narratives are on display every day when you look at the work that local government does around development, around zoning, around you name it.
0: So how do you start to like convince those people that these things can be okay or convince them of a different way of thinking. Cause like, I mean, they're still, you know, your citizens and your constituents, right? So how do you like work with them?
1: I think some people won't be convinced and that's just a reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some of it is just working around that fact and acknowledging that fact and putting your resources where you can actually create change um, mm-hmm. instead of bashing your head against a wall. But I also think that you have to look at people's interests. And in a lot of cases, you know, um, I mean, NIMBY has become kind of the all-purpose pejorative. If you're against development and someone else is in favor of it, they're going to call you a a NIMBY, not Mm -hmm. in my backyard. And the reality is, if you look at these people, people tend to to act out of rational self-interest and they may oppose something because of misinformation. You know, people people get up in arms about affordable housing in their neighborhood because they think it's going to lower their property values. And there's actually evidence that says that in almost all cases, it doesn't. Hmm. Um, People are worried about a traffic apocalypse. And the evidence suggests that, well, that's not going to happen. Denser development isn't necessarily going to lead to congestion. Um, But, you know, marshalling studies and throwing studies at people doesn't tend to convince them. But I think, if you can approach someone who really disagrees with you about an issue to do with urban development, to do with sort of the future of their city, if you can approach it from a place of empathy and understand what are they worried about, what about their quality of life are they trying to protect, and then maybe look for the win-win, Um there are aspects of sort of suburban sprawl. I don't want to use the term sprawl. We avoid that at strong towns because it has so many kind of laden connotations, but there are aspects of the suburban car development or car dependent development paradigm that people really like, but there are a lot more aspects that they will stand up and fight for and go shout about at a meeting. Not because anyone loves, you know, the aesthetics of a house with an attached garage on the front or that kind of thing, but just because in context, What they're actually worried about is something different. And if you can sort of get to the core of that, um, what matters to you, what doesn't? You know, I find that a lot of people are. Visuals help. Um, I'm sorry Mm -hmm. if I'm rambling here, but, you know, people have this knee jerk reaction to the idea of more development. People have a knee jerk reaction to the idea of density. Mm -hmm. You know, density is the best word you can use if your goal is to just shut down conversation. Mm -hmm. But you can show people a photo of. Sort of a a traditional American neighborhood, century old houses, narrow tree lined streets, walkable, mixed use. And those places are beloved. Mm -hmm. And people who are total, people who will go to their meeting and, you know, yell about, we don't want more density, we don't want more traffic, no more development in this community, stand up to the greedy developers, love these places that are way more quote unquote developed than the places they live. Yeah, for sure but you need to approach from a place of empathy and a place of, okay, I get your concerns. I get that you're invested in your quality of life and your community, just like all of us are. And mm-hmm. let's figure out what it is that you're worried is going to happen. And let's have a respectful, empathetic conversation about how can this be a win-win for you? How can, how can, how can I help you to get to understand that maybe your city does need to change in some respects, but it can change in a way that's going to make your life better and not worse.
0: Yeah, that's a really good insight. That's interesting. You bring up the picture argument. Cause I, in my town, we've had, well, right near my um, apartment, there's a really nice commercial strip and there are a couple like vacant lots or one of them was like this pretty ugly single story building that was like empty. And then they're going to start building on some of these places and people got really mad, obviously, because, you know, development and it's not historically accurate and all this stuff. But like is this empty single story building any better? No. Like having a nice productive apartment where people can live and like, there's going to be a commercial on the bottom floor is definitely better than just this empty building. Right. But yeah, it's yes, that knee jerk reaction.
1: But you show it to people and they often go, Oh, I like that," because um, <laughs> what they're picturing in their head. And this is something that's been tough for me as someone who kind of speaks planner mm-hmm. when I'm talking to people who don't speak planner to realize that they don't have even remotely the same mental image, you know, that I can even mention something offhand about, say, Chicago, and the image in my head is a beautiful old kind of brownstone neighborhood in Chicago, and their image is probably high-rise public housing towers. It's Cabrini-Green. Right. we're We're completely failing to have a conversation because they're not picturing what I'm picturing, and so bringing visual aids into the conversation is often the best thing you can do.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. What projects did you work on in your internship this summer?
1: Um, the majority of my work was research for an upcoming affordable housing initiative. Um, the affordable housing is a big issue in coastal Florida. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something that the County is trying to grapple with as home prices and rents approach what they were at the peak of the the 2005, 2006 boom. We're almost back up to that level again. Um, mm. And so they had me doing kind of, a lot of internal background research that I'm hoping will prove useful and I'm hoping will inform efforts to actually get some policy changes to deal with this issue.
0: Well, Daniel, uh, thanks for talking to me today. Our new book thoughts on building strong towns volume two is available now, and we highly encourage you to check it out and you can read among many things, uh, Daniel's wonderful essay, moving the Overton window. So thanks Daniel so much for being here. Thank you, Rachel. We need your help. If you think the Strong Towns message is important, don't keep it to yourself. Pass it on. You can get more information and sign up to be a member of Strong Towns at strongtowns.org.